0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Andy Storch Show. I am your founder and host, Andy Storch. And of course, this is the podcast where we can come together to starve our fears, follow our dreams, and achieve our true potential. And I have a great interview for you today that will help us do some of those things. It's a different perspective on living life intentionally and dealing with fear, which are two common topics that you know I like to talk about a lot because I want people who uh, follow me, who listen, who are around me to get the most out of life as I want for myself. And I want to help you do that. Uh, I want to help people live intentionally. I want to help people move past fear, which I think is the the biggest roadblock to living that life of intention, to, to really following our dreams. And I often talk about starving fear or pushing past fear. But my guest today has a different perspective on that. And today I'm really excited to share with you a conversation with Katie Hendricks. And Katie Hendricks, you might know her as the husband of Dr. Gay Hendricks, who I've had on this podcast twice. She is the chief creative officer and director of training at the Hendricks Institute. And she is an evolutionary catalyst and freelance mentor who has been a pioneer in the field of body intelligence and conscious loving for over 40 years. Katie has an international reputation as a presenter and seminar leader, bodifying the core skills of conscious living, authenticity, responsibility, and appreciation with conscious enthusiasts from many Fields. She's a co author of 12 books, including the best selling Conscious Loving at the Speed of Life and Conscious Loving Ever After How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. Katie has been a successful entrepreneur for over 40 years. She specializes in turning concepts such as commitment into felt experience and igniting new actions that emerge from the inside out. She's a coach, she's a researcher, she's been uh, appeared on tons of publications. She's been on Oprah. Uh, In fact, she said that Oprah actually mispronounced her name, uh, Kathleen, originally, and then corrected it when she was on the show. I'll have to go look that up. And most of all, she's really excited right now about the concept of living life as a work of art and living a life free from fear or embracing fear and dealing with fear to live the life you want. And those are the two topics we're really going to hone in on today. So I hope you are excited because I've had a great conversation for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Katie Hendricks. Hey, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So exciting to have you on. Uh, Of course, I've, I've known of you for some time. I've had your husband gay on the podcast twice now, and we've had such fantastic conversations. And uh, he has alluded to a lot of the work that you've done together. Of course, he's told some of the the stories. And I know from reading his books, uh, some of the stories of how you got together and your relationship and how you've leveraged all the stuff that you both have learned to help so many other individuals and couples. And uh, I'm excited to have you on to talk about some of that as well as the the current things you're working on, which are so interesting to me this Idea of living life as a work of art and mm-hmm. living life free of fear, which is something I talk about a lot on this podcast.
1: Oh, that's really interesting because that's been a huge passion of mine for many, many years, but particularly for about the last five years.
0: Okay, great. Well, uh, before we dive into that, uh, I'd love to share a little bit of your background and tell me, you know, how you sure. got to right today.
1: Well, one of the first things that you need to know is when I discovered my my baby book you know, years ago, the very first entry that my mother made was that Katie loves to pull herself up in her crib and dance. And so from the very, very beginning, I've been a mover. And most people don't realize that what I brought to the mix, Gabe brought his background in, particularly in breath work and the study of energy and human energy systems. And I brought my background in movement And um, have been a registered dance movement therapist since 1975. And what that's really about is opening up the language of movement. We think that language just occurs between here and here, but that's only about 7% of what we're communicating. And primarily, what we're communicating is through the way that we move, the way that we gesture, whether we complete our sentences or start them and then just fade out and all of those nuances of movement not only give us a way of in, of experiencing our internal landscape but they also translate into every area of life because the way that you move is the way that you do everything so the way that you move is the way that you start projects it's the way that you communicate it's the way that you really orient toward the world around you so that's really one of my big loves and what we found most useful over the years, because I, I mostly do, I'm the facilitator for our work. I consider ourselves the ambassador for our work and have flown over a million, 500,000 miles teaching our work around the world. And what I find really helpful for people is translating what all these wonderful concepts that humans come up with, like commitment but what does that look like what does that feel like how do we put that into action in our lives and that's one of the things that i've developed over the years so i have hundreds of processes that allow people to embody concepts rather than just talking about it because one of the things that i've learned is that just talking about it especially in relationships is not going to get you anywhere it's just going to get you into more discussion and who's right and who's wrong but when You experience it with your whole body. Something shifts and you get to experience more direct connection, both with yourself and with others.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I actually, we have some things in common. I'm a professional facilitator as well. And most of the programs that I run are experiential learning programs because I have found and believe strongly that people learn best from experience. They've got to really experience something versus just sitting around listening to a PowerPoint presentation all day.
1: Yeah. In fact, one of our sayings is that insight follows experience. And that very often people get their insight cart out there ahead of the horse and, you know, think that they need to understand something. But what we really found is that if you've got confusion about something, that's an invitation to experience more deeply. And then the insight naturally comes when you've really dived deeply into how you're actually in relationship to this in your whole body.
0: I love there's so many great insights here. And we're, as far as the story goes, we're still at the point where you're standing up in the crib moving around.
1: That's right. It it was really interesting. Uh, I took a test, you know, one of those, what are your preferences tests online? And, And what came up for me is that my two highest values are truth and beauty and justice. So beauty and justice, for me, really, how we can best experience that as humans is if we're really aligned inside with what we're actually experiencing. We experience a kind of realness of ourselves, and then we're able to express that in a way that closely matches what we're experiencing. So rather than saying, you know, I'm feeling... You know, I'm just feeling a little off today. If I'm able to say, you know, I'm noticing a lot of heat rising in me, and my cheeks are hot, and you know, I just had the thought, oh, I didn't complete that uh, that communication that I had yesterday. That brings you into alignment. And the value of that is that you get to feel life energy moving through you. You get to enjoy being alive. And my sense is that over the last few years, especially, we've become more of a two-dimensional culture rather than a three-dimensional culture. We move less. We have like when people are on their phones, instead of the 3,000 or more movements that humans can make, you're using two. You know, like flex, extend, flex, extend. Right, moving your
0: neck up and down as you look at the phone and poke at things and then...
1: Right, and and your perception narrows. And, you know, my sense is that what that creates is a kind of bounce off, both with giving and receiving attention, but also with expressing yourself and enjoying being alive. Because we've gotten more and more disembodied and more and more two-dimensional. So one of my great passions is helping people through the pathway of beauty, which is really all about appreciating and fostering appreciation rather than criticism. You know, what I've noticed, and I wonder if you have also, is that like when I ask people to give attention to themselves, all, everybody looks for what's wrong. You know, they'll adjust themselves, so they'll, you know, they'll look where they have pain or tension, yeah. rather than giving themselves appreciative, curious. Attention. And my sense is that when we have a value of, I mean, really, what's the point? You know, what's the point of all of the stuff we're doing if we're, we don't have a world to live in that allows us to experience beauty and allows us to experience each other as works of art? You know, one of the things we notice in our, our couples' work, I'm going to be teaching a couples' course up in Berkeley at the first part of April that most people see their partners as an improvement project. You know, like a little fixer-upper, like, you know, you got potential, but I think, you know, you need a little honing and polishing and readjusting. And that sets up a sense of not only conflict and power struggle, but it misses the whole point of close relationship, is that through appreciation and through really seeing your partner as an evolving work of art, who your partner really is, what we call essence, begins to shine through. It's like you're Michelangelo for your partner and your partner for you, where everything that's not you gets moved aside, and who you really are gets to come through. And I've certainly experienced that over the decades with Gay, is that each of us have become more and more of who we can be, with the support and just the viewpoint of, oh, what's this work of art wanting to express today? And then it also allows us to co-create that our relationship is a work of art and the space between us is a work of art. And that when people come into that space, they get to experience themselves. More as works of art. So it's really contagious. I mean, we know feelings are contagious, yeah. but we usually think of feelings like, you know, anger and sadness, you know, as being contagious. But actually experiencing yourself with appreciation, that's also contagious and is something, one of the best things that we can share.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you said that you want to help more people appreciate, you know, beauty, appreciate themselves, appreciate others, appreciate their partner you know i think i maybe 3 years ago really discovered the importance of practicing gratitude you know i do that almost every day along with meditation and i have recently realized or decided that i am on a mission myself to combat all the negativity and judgment that is out there and help people focus on appreciation because you're right oftentimes people think of all the things that are wrong with themselves they're comparing to other people right which is Worse yeah. now than ever because of social media. Yeah. It's so easy to see what your friends are doing. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're only posting the great stuff that's going on. You're seeing the highlight reel. And so we're comparing and saying, oh, well, she's written 12 books. I haven't done anything. Right. But if you shift your mindset and appreciate what you have and focus on the gratitude, then it can it can change your whole outlook on life.
1: Uh, truly. I and mean, we found, and that's one of the things we focus on in our... We have a newly revised website, the Foundation for Conscious Living, and it's really organized around the active principles of appreciating, responding, responsibility, and authenticity. And we've been known for many, many years for our commitment to what we used to call the microscopic truth, which is like looking at your experience very closely and describing that and then the unarguable truth. But what I've now found is that it really, the experience I have is speaking from discovery. So it's not about trying to find the truth. It's really giving attention to what most closely matches what is happening right now. And it's been such a gift to find that if I have something going on, I can't wait to tell Gay about it. Uh, Because in the act of describing, you know, I've been sensing this and been feeling this and I'm not quite sure. And I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I heard a voice saying, I resign." I mean, that actually happened to me last night. So as I was sharing with Gay about that this morning, I found in the space of his curiosity and appreciating and my expressing what was true for me, I got to discover what was really going on. So, so much communication we come to, like, I should know what's going on and I'm going to just package it up and report it to you. But what really can happen is in this evolving work of art is I'm describing and in that space of appreciation, I get to discover what's going on. And I find that just, it's really a cool discovery.
0: Yeah, I, man, I'm trying to think of the name of this, but I just went through a program and learned about this uh, process and the importance of active appreciation. When people tell you about good news or something that's going on, and it's so easy to just dismiss it and go, oh yeah, that's great. And then move on to the next, what's for breakfast, you know, the next thing. But to actually hone in and appreciate with curiosity, well, tell me more about that dream. What did that make you feel like? How did, you know, what are you thinking about now? Yeah. Uh, opens up a whole new conversation and deepens that relationship, right?
1: Totally, it deepens the relationship with you, with your partner, but also within you and the possibility of living in discovery rather than living in being right. So, one of the big uh, diseases of our culture right now is the need to be right. And what you were saying just a little while ago, Andy, about you know, fighting for. Me to the other aspect of what makes appreciation difficult for people is that fight is actually one of the four expressions of fear. So, like all the things we hear about fighting back, you know, fight for your principles and fight back against keeps the whole fear cycle going. And one of the things I discovered years ago is that most of the culture is living in what I call a fear trance. And that, you know, I think we've been living in a fear trance probably since, certainly in my life, since the atom bomb got dropped. And my experience is that changed the whole chemistry of the world. But I grew up, because I was born in 1948, I grew up in this tremendous fear that the world was going to end any moment.
0: Yeah, basically no, the beginning was, of the Cold War, right? World War II just ended in the mid... Yeah,
1: and but what was really pervasive were the bomb shelters mm-hmm. and the duck and cover. And we had all of those scenes of the bomb being dropped and, you know, all of the, the tests. So, you know, I actually think that that the 60s and all of the uproar of the 60s, where it was, which was when I came of age... What happened there was that we just, we thought we weren't gonna live to be 30, so let's just do as much as we can now. So the the thing I'm really passionate about is giving people body intelligence tools so they can shift out of fear. Because when I'm in fear, the big thing that happens is you become the enemy. So when I'm in fear, I go into my reptilian brain, and you become the other. And I'm not connected to you anymore. And I can't, I don't experience you as human. So it's just fine for me to do anything to you because you're not like me. And that central problem of fear, I've developed something called fear melters. And they are these very simple body movements that allow you to experience yourself, even if just for a moment or so, free of fear. And you can then begin to rewire your neurophysiology so that you can live more and more in open space rather than hunkered in fear, um, yeah. you know, either in fighting or fleeing or freezing or fainting.
0: Right. So
1: my sense is that one of my big passions right now we're developing a whole program to allow people to move from fear to here and then to restore their resourcefulness and then to restore their connections with others. Because the big, you know, we are. I was just watching a program last night about the power of addictions in the world right now and what a tremendous problem that is yeah but the antidote to addictions is actually connection and the the felt experience of being connected of belonging of having someone else see you and reflect back to you with presence and all of those things become possible when you're free of that you know of hunkering down in that in that fear
0: it's interesting because When you say that the antidote to addiction is connection, I think that a lot of negative addictions are born in connection. You know, I think of the uh, pervasiveness of smoking, thinking back to the 70s, 80s, when everybody's on a smoke break together, it's an opportunity for us to connect, right? Alcoholism, not always, but oftentimes it's from people going to the bar and drinking together. So you're, mm-hmm. they're seeking that connection and maybe using this drug. There are many things to be addicted to, obviously, and a lot of them don't involve connection. And I can see how having that connection brings the true fulfillment that we really want in life. Right. That, that we're filling the void with with some of those addictions.
1: Well, I think the addictions are kind of a faux connection. Mm-hmm. We think that we're connecting over, you know, the shared cigarette or the or the beer, mm-hmm. where we then often talk about what's wrong you know, and what's wrong with everybody else and how we're right and they're wrong. So it it gives people a kind of a false sense of I belong. But I don't think there's anything that substitutes for the actual Mm -hmm. in your body sense of being seen, appreciated, listened to, having somebody be with you, especially, for example, with your feelings. Yeah. So if there's something going on where someone's not trying to fix you or trying to make you shut up, but really connecting through that window of appreciating and appreciating you as a work of art. Um, I actually yeah. teach a course about how to experience your life as a work of art. And one of my intentions, for example, I'm looking around at our home. I, we've lived here for 18 years. And when I moved here, my intention was that everywhere that somebody looked, they would experience beauty, both inside and outside. And so that was kind of my guiding principle. And for years and years, and I've now, that's happened. So when people walk into the house, they're immediately struck by feeling the beauty here and they're affected by it. And my sense is that we can do that in each of our interactions. So the attitude of experiencing somebody as, What is this unique work of art and how can I support you in feeling deeply connected to expressing yourself as a work of art? Because it makes a big switch for us from experiencing what I call endogenous world caused from without, which is run by anxiety, not quite enough, gotta buy another thing, so the culture wants us to be anxious and feeling disconnected and trying to improve and comparing ourselves and all of that stuff that, that happens on social media to endogenous, caused from within. And I don't think there's anything as satisfying as what I call authoring yourself. You are creating yourself. You're reclaiming your creativity from the world, like trying to fit in compared to what is it that I want to source and create and contribute in the world. It's an entirely different experience where you feel like you're co-creating rather than just being a consumer.
0: It's interesting you say that because I look at a lot of this stuff and I think so many people have become a product of society and the people around them and they don't stop and think about who I want to be, what do I want to do, how do I want to live my life, how do I want to... What do I want to put out there? They just become what they what they think other people want them to be.
1: Yes. And I think at the base of that is that drive to connect. Yeah. And that drive to experience ourselves not just as us, but as being in community. Because we are social animals. And yep. we do need solo time, but we also deeply need a sense of that. We we
0: need a tribe, we need a society around us. We
1: need a society, but a society that's that's working towards something that actually generates life rather than extinguishing life. And right now, we're, you know, and for the last three years, this craziness that we've been living in, uh, you know, especially in that, the not having a mutual grounding in reality. Uh, <laughs> that, that I think people, I've seen such distress in people yeah. because the framework, you know, that we've all grown accustomed to has yeah. completely collapsed. And so this is a time where we really need an internal sense of stability. And what we, how we've created that is with um, the practice of integrity. The Mm. practice of integrity is actually the practice of wholeness. There's a great definition of wholeness that I just love, which is an unbroken totality or wholeness with nothing wanting. And the experience of integrity, that internal sense of integrity allows you to create without having things falling down. It's really like building your house on rock rather than building your house on sand. So we combine these principles that I was describing to you with the practice of integrity. For example, in the area of agreements, actually doing what you say you're going to do and not doing what you say you're not going to do. Like you know, these very simple but doable skills that give you a sense of your own internal structure that's solid and flexible and can grow with you as your work of art is evolving.
0: Yeah, really interesting. So I want to make sure we we dive a little bit more on this living life as a work of art and get back yeah. to fear because there's so much... I... I have to say about that, but I want to hear what you have to say but how sure. how do we go about living our life as a work of art? What's yeah. so important there
1: Well, I think at the core of that is that you're willing to love yourself as you are and that you're willing to go, this is my work of art because we're constantly comparing and it's encouraged in our culture if you just think about body image women and body image yeah. That alone, billions and billions of dollars are right. involved every year in that question of
0: right.
1: am I okay? And so the, right. the most-
0: drive, anything, right? All those com- <clears throat> the commercials. All of like those
1: things. Where, friends, right. Yeah. Right. But if I, like I'm experiencing myself as a tree in a forest, I'm a unique tree. Yep. And you don't, you know, you will go out in the forest and see the oak and the willow trees throwing things at each other, you know, or trying to cut each other down. They Straight. are expressing their uniqueness.
0: And they don't compare themselves to the other trees.
1: No, no. no. So the, the fundamental is, am I willing to experience myself as a work of art? And I sometimes I'll ask people you know in the art world do you prefer more you know sculpture or paintings or music or you know different kinds of music like which of your senses do you experience more access to you and that can also be your access to experiencing yourself as a work of art hmm. so because i love to move yeah uh, but i also love i'm sort of auditory kinesthetic so i love both of those so i often In the morning, I'll put on music and I'll move to that. And that's just spontaneously how I'm wanting to move that day. And that reminds me and grounds me in my experience of me as an evolving work of art. So we combine that with inviting people into a 10 minute a day just creativity practice where you take 10 minutes and do something that you love to do. And that allows you to then experience yourself as a creator you are a work of art and you are creating every day. And then that creating, if you just take that 10 minutes, that sense of creativity then permeates the rest of your day. Yeah. Rather than thinking like a work of art is a thing, you know, and that you can point to it. Like, um, you know, I could show you my book. In fact, if you look back here on the shelves, you'll see two, two shelves of our books. Oh, okay. So that's a work of art. But there are your actual how you create a salad how you speak to your children.
0: It's essentially how you express yourself, right? It's how you express yourself. Different ways you're expressing yourself, right? Well, then also
1: how you you experience others, how you welcome others. Do you see them as their own unique works of art that you can appreciate? So the key is, are you willing to experience yourself as a work of art? And then are you willing to focus on appreciating rather than criticizing? Yeah. Are you willing to up the level of appreciations for you and then moving out to others? But most of us are much more experienced at appreciating others than ourselves. So mm-hmm. we really focus on that. And in fact, we have a 66-day appreciation challenge on our Foundation for Conscious Living website that, because that's how long it takes to create a new habit. Right. So actually having, when you come home to yourself, if you come home with appreciation and that willingness, you can just keep expanding lifelong. And what that also does, I think, is allow you to continue to experience yourself in continuous renewal so that you're not just, here I did this thing once 20 years ago and I'm going to carry it around with me as you know, my example of work of art. You know, one of the things Ken Kesey said is that art is not eternal. Mm. And one of the things Gay Hendricks said is art is messy. <laughs> and so really accepting both of those that, no, the work of art is messy, right? It's going to change over time.
0: Right. Things change. That's what I was going to, I was, I was going to ask for clarification earlier. I think we got it because sometimes people use the phrase, oh, that's a work of art as if almost referring to perfection. But we know that what you're talking about is not perfection. It's how we express ourselves, how we appreciate others. And that as part of life, we are always growing and changing and learning. I know I am. I know the people around me are. I know you are. And so that's how our art is being expressed.
1: Exactly. And you can choose that, you know, because as we know, the the biggest indicator of success in life is whether you have a growth mindset, mm-hmm. you know, an expansion mindset Go or a rigid mindset. Back, right? yep. And that's something that each of us can continue expanding like any place that you're, you're starting to feel tense or tight, you can begin to open those up so that you don't fold up, you know, because when people get older, you know, especially 40, 50, particularly in their 50s, if people don't say, you know, I'm going to continue learning and growing, they begin to fold up until they get more and more,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, rigid and opinionated and then they right.
0: die. Yep. They know everything. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Dr. Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, has definitely been one that's changed my life. And Yeah, uh,
1: you know, those are the really, the key elements. But in our work, we really focus on how you experience those. Hmm. What kind of difference can that make if you're living it, not just thinking about it or talking about it? Because talking, just if you're just talking, it uses a, a part of your brain that's about the size of a quarter. Yeah. Um, But when you're moving and when you're engaged with your whole body, you actually are also engaging your whole brain.
0: Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So we, we talked about living life as this work of art and the importance of appreciation, you know, how we express ourselves, how we appreciate others, and that it's important not to get caught up comparing ourselves to others. Right. You also mentioned fear earlier and growing up in that, that, environment of fear in the 60s, in the middle of the Cold War. And when I think about fear, and I talk about fear a lot on this show, in fact, the the tagline for my podcast is, starve your fears. And fantastic. (laughs) something that I stole from another author that is all about, you know, if you you let fear linger too long, it continues to grow. And so you've got to take action right away, which I'm assuming your movements are about. So I want to get to that. But one of the things I, I wanted to dig into is that, When you're living in, say, the Cold War, or you're in a a place where terrorism or something else is prevalent, there's actual physical danger. Like, that is something that is logically makes sense to fear. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, we shouldn't dwell on it. But it is something to actually fear versus what I think most people experience fear is based on criticism from others, judgment from others in society, right?
1: There's certainly, if you look around, there's a lot to be scared about right now. And here's the big problem. If I'm in fear, mm-hmm. I can only react. So if I'm in fear, I don't have access to my either my limbic brain or my prefrontal cortex where problems can be solved. I cannot solve a problem. I can only do what I learned how to do to survive. So people will get more entrenched in their fear, what I call their fear signature. And one of the things we do is actually have people face and befriend their fear because fear is wrapped around also other feelings and you cannot ever make fear go away you can't talk people out of fear you can't talk yourself out of fear but you can presence yourself with these fear melters do and here's one of them so when people are in fight you know they usually have this and, you know, you might even think they're angry, but it's generally, this is fear. And people get, oh, but right. it's actually fear. But when, yeah. they're, when they're doing what I call oozing, yeah. when you're oozing, you cannot fight. Right. And in that moment, you have an opening where your brains can work together, you, you're here, and you can take, make an action that is actually free of fear. So you could add... Fear melters and then appreciating something about what's going on, or fear melters and then taking a breath so that you're not <gasps> caught in that breathlessness. And then that allows you to connect in real time with what's really going on with a new strategy rather than a survival strategy. So, my sense is that fear melters give us access to being able to respond more creatively rather than reacting and escalating, because fear, what fear does is flood us with adrenaline. And adrenaline is the most addictive substance on the planet. And we use a very small amount of it in a lifetime, in like a, a tablespoonful in a lifetime. So little molecules of adrenaline are incredibly powerful. And when someone is in adrenaline, they're not here. But you do get that spike, that ha 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 ha, you know, the the big roller coaster. But the problem with adrenaline is it has a short half-life. And then so most people then escalate. So my sense is that fear melters, appreciation, and especially creativity. Creativity is the only thing that's more powerful than adrenaline. Hmm. Because if we don't find something that's juicier than adrenaline, the default positioning is going to be adrenaline and we'll keep coming back to fighting back and, you know, making other people wrong and escalating in wars of various kinds. And what it also does is separate us from the results of our actions that people can't see, for example, that my using a single use plastic bottle has an impact, you know, because I'm not here and I'm not connected to What that we have one body and one earth. And so what I have seen in playing with fear, especially if I'm willing to befriend it and get to know it, and I have processes that I've developed to assist people to do this, which we're going to be making videos of and making accessible to people, that what occurs is that I can actually be with my fear and that Opens up a whole other dimension where I can be through befriending my fear. I'm now here. Oh, and I can experience, oh, and here we are together, which is a nutrient that people I think are really desperate for.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned that the fear will always be there. I think you said you can never make fear completely go away because so many people want to live their life, quote unquote, fearless, when it's yeah. not true. And I've, I've said many times on the show that courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is facing the fear and taking exactly. it anyway, right?
1: Exactly. Facing the fear, but also you can't bully fear. Yeah. Fear <laughs> runs along different circuits than like sadness and anger. But what you can do is liberate the life energy that's tied up in that fear knot, and then it becomes available for you to use by choice gives you vitality, gives you more creative ideas, allows you to create solutions rather than the same old, same old.
0: Got it. So you said that you you have some strategies to befriend fear. What, can you yep. share a couple of those?
1: Sure. The first thing is to notice that fear is a natural process and that just because we've been inundated with fear, you know, especially over the last, Fifteen years or sixteen years or so, that the sense of you know ah you know that m- most people are in when you actually notice your body sensations and you begin to give attention to and breath to and and movement to your fears. So for me, the fear melters are the that's the gateway, and then putting the fear melters together with ah, taking a breath, connecting in some way. And one of the things that I suggest to people is what we call essence pace. So putting fear melters together with moving through the world at a pace that allows you to be aware of you and aware of others. Because most of us are in hurry up, get things done, busy, 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 do, do. And that keeps us out of connection with ourselves. And when you drop into, I have people accelerate and then decelerate, accelerate and decelerate, and noticing there's a pace where I can tell, here I am, and I'm also aware of what's going on around me. And we've had people just experience just these life-changing openings from finding their essence pace. So I would say that That of all of the things that we share has the most in-the-moment usefulness for people. Because I guarantee you, if you're scared, you're in hurry-up mode. Right. So simply finding, okay, what's my pace? Rather than how everybody else wants me to be moving, what's my pace? And when people find that, ah, they feel resourceful rather than reactive. And it's a very powerful experience for people that really makes
0: a difference. Can you give an example of what that looks like? I'm I'm a bit of a kinesthetic yeah. learner as well. So maybe yeah. how you okay. do that in your own so, life with someone that you yeah. you know.
1: Most right. people She's like, up and
0: around the room now.
1: Yeah, they're moving up and around the world. And also moving really, really slowly is not essence pace. Okay. But there's a, uh, if, if you can just do this by walking. So you're walking, you know, and if you're, you're walking really, really fast. And then you're coming, you're walking really slowly, but then there's a pace where you, oh, you can feel yourself. And there's a, a, there's a kind of natural rhythm that occurs Hmm. where you feel connected with you. And it's like a window opens up and you can see the world. And also what people can do is they can do that also with their, even at your desk, are you leaned forward and you're tight and you're you know, you're not letting yourself move and you're kind of hurrying up and trying to get it done really quickly. Yeah. Or, or have you settled into, okay, here's, ah, here's the pace. And relax
0: yourself with some slow, relaxing movements. some breathing. Yes. Yeah. Move fluidly. Yeah. It's like you're, you're dancing slowly. Uh, yeah. Well, I was looking for maybe an example of how you use this to get over a fear or seen someone do that recently. Oh, well,
1: one of my friends was very ill recently. And I was, I had this fear rise up of, oh, something really bad is going to happen to her. And, you know, I could feel this pulling up, it was kind of a frozen feeling. And as I noticed my body sensations, and and I realized I had kind of sucked everything into the middle of me. And I let myself wiggle, which is one of the other, which is another one of the fear melters. I let myself wiggle, and I was then able to express what was under the fear, which was the the sadness of loss, and was able to experience that I was afraid, sad, that I was going to lose her. And when I was able to identify that and share that with her, I found my, you know, my my capability to actually be with her, but also to honor what was going on for me. Like, did I want to spend a lot of time with her right now or, you know, to assist her? And what about my, it allowed me to make some decisions about how I wanted to use my time. But what we've often found is that fear covers something that's more deep under that. And it's off almost always some kind of sadness. <clears throat> and then when people can sh- just share about that, then it's almost like you have a, a whole new constellation that you can work with, not this old view of the world that's kind of all tight, but, oh, something, some other possibility.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I was, as you were talk, telling that story, I was thinking of a couple of different things. One is reading uh, your husband's book, the, the Joy of Genius, the latest book, that he talks a lot about people experiencing so much anxiety because of unfinished conversations. Right. And we, and and the importance of just pushing past that fear and having that necessary conversation to make things much better. And, you know, having
1: rather, but I just want to challenge you about the pushing through because the pushing through is a fight.
0: Okay. Fair.
1: So then that keeps the fear going. So rather the, what I go to is body sensations, because fear, if I'm just talking about fear, I'm up here. But if I identify, oh, I actually felt my stomach tightening and kind of pulling in and I'm holding my breath, then I'm giving my, I'm appreciating, which is also being sensitively aware of. So appreciation doesn't just mean everything's all wonderful. Appreciating is giving my sensitive attention to what's actually happening. And that sense of contact that. makes just this huge difference in ah, being able to, you know, access your, your creativity.
0: Right. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, the other thing I was thinking about is that uh, one thing I learned to help when I'm experiencing anxiety, which is really just another form of fear, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, it's fear
1: that-, that you're thinking about a lot. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, so um a big fan of of Tony Robbins and I went through one of his programs, Unleash the Power Within. And at that program, one thing that has stuck with me is that his partner, uh, Joseph McClendon III, gave some very simple advice that when you're dealing with this anxiety is to shake your booty. <laughs> Just exactly. The same thing as what you were talking about, wiggling.
1: Wiggling, the exactly. Because anxiety often you know the expression of fear the the frozen expression of fear mm. doesn't allow you to to actually experience that you have life energy that you can use right. that you have a choice in yeah. fact fear takes you out of choice so rather than i just don't recommend pushing through because mm. i i think that we have like fear is something separate from us this this very strange thing like fear is this thing out here but when we realize i'm generating fear. And I can befriend fear and then I get, it's like having a fire hose that you haven't hooked up to the hydrant. When you really befriend fear, you can use that enormous amount of energy, but you can direct it by choice rather than having it
0: control you. So interesting. It's a different perspective of really taking control, befriending it. It's the, the gentler approach Well, uh, I
1: found it, and um, people can test this out, that it it actually works. Mm. So when you're fighting fear, you're just keeping the fear going. If you're pushing through fear, you're just keeping the fear going. Mm. And you're also making fear the enemy. Fear is wired in, we come from, we wouldn't be here if our ancestors weren't very, very much connoisseurs of fear because the ones who responded to fear effectively are our ancestors. Mm. You know, the ones who said, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. (laughs) Those are not, you know, they're not here anymore. Right. to be able to utilize fear. Like I had someone, you know, years ago I had, um, you know, this guy in a parking lot came and stuck his head in the nine inch knife in the window. And my fear responses had my feet over the console and kicking him like before I could think about it. Wow. That's what fear is for is to assist us in those kinds of situations. But that happened to me like 30 years ago. Yeah. And uh, and I'm very grateful for that. So we're, I'm not trying to, I think we're trying to to make fear go away rather than using fear as a resource and, yeah. you know, rather than an enemy.
0: Well, fear, fear gets a bad name, right? Fear in yeah. in a dangerous situation, fear has a great use. It's, there's a reason why we experience it because it it told your body, hey, get in defensive mode and get this guy out of here. Yeah. The problem occurs that when we still have that uh, caveman brain, if you will, the fight or flight, when the situations we deal with now are like, will my boss like this report? Then right, like, oh.
1: exactly. I can't kill my boss. <laughs> right. You now, except maybe on <laughs> a lot social people media. people might want back, to, but, but yeah,
0: right. you can't. So yeah. it's just a different world now. You've got
1: it to- is a different world. And we have, I think also the befriending our feelings. And appreciating our feelings in general is so key to our being able to transform our world now because we have, I think, the, at the root of toxic masculinity is a fear of feelings. Mm. And I think that at the root of our problems in relationship is a fear of different sexes fearing each other rather than actually getting to know each other through connection and yeah. appreciation. You know, but it's very clear to me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty convinced of what the issue is and I'm taking steps to develop programs where people can experience themselves, not just, not free of fear, but bigger than yeah. the fear. This so
0: really that fear is... It, yeah, yes. Well, you, so you mentioned these programs, we've got to start wrapping up here. Uh, where can people go to find out more about these programs that you're putting together?
1: The main, most people are aware of us through um, Hendrix.com, dot com, And that's where we have a lot of our relationship work and descriptions of our live trainings, our in-person trainings and seminar where people can learn about these things. Like I have one that's called Living Your Life as a Work of Art. So that's one of our seminars. But the programs that I'm developing now are on our newest uh, website, which is the Foundation for Conscious Living. This is our nonprofit and we've been really exploring what are the principles, the attitudes and the practices that we can use in our daily lives that will change our lives and also change the world. So if people go to those, they can find the Fear Melters and the different programs that we're developing. So we have a three-part program, Coming Home to Yourself, Restoring Resourcefulness and Creating Caring Community. And we're developing a series of videos that will be available to everybody and can be used by first responders, by people who are dealing with crisis, but also people who want to create community that's based on caring and connection rather than on contempt and criticism and competition, you know, and adrenaline. So that's what we're up to.
0: I love it so much on there. So you mentioned Hendrix.com and where do I go for the foundation? Is it Foundation for Conscious?
1: We just go Foundation for Conscious Living and that will pop up. And you can also go to our, um, we have Facebook pages. And you know, so once you sort of Google us, you'll find all kinds <laughs> you'll of find different everything ways is out to there. connect.
0: <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Any parting words from you on how to live life uh, intentionally and as a, as a work of art?
1: Yes, I, I would say that The key is that right in this moment, you can give your sensitive awareness to what you're experiencing. You can appreciate yourself. And just that will open up the possibility of more creativity, more resourcefulness right now.
0: I love it. And I intend on living my life the rest of this day, appreciating myself and everything around me. Uh, and doing that more and more going forward. So, Katie Hendricks, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that our listeners as well. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank
1: you. Thanks a lot, Annie, and you too.
0: All right. Take care.